You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 7, members discuss special education with Venus Reeve. Welcome back to OEA Grow. I'm your host, Venus Reed, and this season we are exploring special education. For our first conversation, we are talking about accommodations and modifications with a professional in the special education field, Sandra Walk. Welcome and thank you for being here today. Before we dive into the topic, Sandra, can you tell us a little bit more about you and your role as a special educator? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, So I was a learning specialist for about 13 years, and then I uh, transitioned into the role of school psychologist, and I've been doing that now for about 15 years. Um, And so I have kind of walked through special education over many uh, sort of decades, if you will, and and my role now is uh, as a school psychologist at a high school in Canby School District. And um, I work with many different learning specialists and speech and language pathologists, as well as all of the general education um, classroom teachers. Previously, I worked primarily at elementary schools. And so I feel like I have a you know, pretty good global uh, experience of what education is like in many different sort of facets and time periods, phases. All the different child development stages. Uh, right. You've gotten to experience and work with. So this is perfect because today we are going to be looking at accommodations and modifications and having that wide lens, being able to help kind of advise us um, what that looks like in kindergarten versus 10th grade. Um, so let's dig in. Let's just get some basics covered. What are accommodations and where would I find these for a student who <laughs> is receiving special education services? Right. So accommodations are just sort of ways to provide some additional um, support that a student might need in a kind of maybe a little different way than most classroom teachers would uh, in their classroom. Although, having said that, I think there are lots and lots of very talented and gifted educators in all over the country um, and in Oregon in Mm -hmm. particular that sort of differentiate instruction in so many different ways already that they're providing a lot of the accommodations and they might just not realize it or they might not recognize them as such. Um, So, you know, an accommodation isn't changing the curriculum. It isn't changing the expectations uh, for the student to demonstrate proficiency or mastery or, you know, for an A grade or however you want to kind of quantify that. But it is a way of changing how the student is able to access that information or that, or demonstrate their proficiency. Okay. So um, an accommodation kind of allows access to the general education curriculum and the general education experience um, and goals and standards don't change with an accommodation, but it allows the student to participate and get that learning. Okay, how about a right, modification? Exactly. I'm sorry, modifications? They um, they yeah. do typically change something about the curriculum. 
So a modification might be that a student gets um, the information delivered to them at a lower grade level, um, significantly lower grade level, or they might um, have completely unique expectations of how they demonstrate mastery or proficiency, or they might have a lower expectation of what they're going to be able to demonstrate or how much they can demonstrate. Um, You know, maybe some examples would be um, you're giving a U.S. history test to a student and on your test you have, you know, five multiple choice answers, three short answers, and then, you know, a couple of essays or something like that where a modification might be, well, the student only answers the multiple choice questions and the short answer questions and doesn't address any of the essays, or the student only answers, you know, the odd questions or something along that line that would demonstrate that they have learned some of the expectations, but their, their demonstration of that mastery is, um, is lowered or changed in a more um, significant way. Okay. So if you were looking at, you know, accommodations versus modifications, it sounds like one of the main differences is an accommodation doesn't change the expectation. It kind of changes how that student might engage with the curriculum. And a modification is going to change how, um, what level that curriculum might be, how the student, um, how much the student might need to complete of that. Am I getting the the general gist of it? Yeah, that's Got that's it. pretty much it. I mean, in a in a short, you know, version, but that's pretty much it. Yes. Fantastic. Okay, so that's helpful. Um, kind of looking at when you're part of an IEP team, whether you're a general educator, or a special educator, or a specialist, you're going to be someone who helps make the decisions on accommodations and modifications for a student. So Absolutely. how does the team determine what what accommodations and whether a modification is needed? Can you kind of guide us through what that might look like? Yeah, I'll be happy to. I think it's important, though, to kind of caveat that with it's going to be um, unique for each student. Um, and it's really important that we focus on the fact that we're talking about an individualized education plan, meaning This is really specific to that particular student. Um, And that being said, you know, a student, uh, for the team to determine that a student needs certain accommodations and or modifications, it has to be based on what the student has demonstrated a need for or what maybe uh, evaluation data has, you know, um, explicitly sort of discovered about the student. For example, there are students who, you know, are there perhaps having a very difficult time, challenging time with reading grade level text um, independently. However, they can understand and glean all of the pertinent information from the text if they can listen to it instead of read it, you know, with their eyeballs. Um, Similarly, there are a lot of students who can, um, you know, finish a task, but maybe they just need an extra day or an extra half hour or something to finish a task. Um, And so those are accommodations that we could provide a student that we learn about that student and we allow them to have sort of those like stepping stools a bit, you know, to help them reach what they're trying to get at um, without changing anything drastically or making any changes to the expectations or the curriculum. 
So looking at what this individual child has demonstrated through observations, through evaluation data, through all of those present levels that the team has talked about, looking at how they can access the curriculum already and the instruction that's already being provided at their grade level in their classroom, we are just accommodating the need. They need it read to them versus, re they, they don't need a change of content, they just need it read to them or they just need more time. Got it. Right. Okay, so then this, I'm guessing the process as a special educator is very similar with a modification, but I was curious, is there anything that um, really has to be there for a student to get a, modif a modification because now we're changing the mm -hmm. curriculum in some way. Is there like a red flag that goes, oh, we need to modify this for the student <laughs> or they need a modification? Right. Absolutely. I think there there are. And I think it's a very important for the team to take that consideration seriously because once you start modifying curriculum, as you know, Venus, that um, – then that changes, you know, really kind of the, the direction that the student is headed as far as graduation. Um, and it changes mm -hmm. how, um, how that student is able to then move forward in their adult life. Um, it change, it kind of changes the whole trajectory of where that student's courses kind of head and what kind of expectations, um, they're going to be having moving forward in whatever you know grade level they go to next. So um, I just want to say that, like, we don't just quickly and easily just yeah. say, "Oh, we need a modification." It is something that has to be well thought out, and and really, um, there has to be a demonstrated need, as you kind of alluded to. So things like noticing clearly that the student is unable. With, with all of those extra little accommodations, unable to access the education or the curriculum uh, at all. So for example, perhaps a student's reading at you know three, four, five grade levels below their current uh, grade level. That would certainly be a red flag in my opinion, kind of as you stated, for like, oh, perhaps a modification is more uh, beneficial to the student. Perhaps they need you know, the curriculum on U.S. history presented to them from a from a fourth grade reading material rather than a 10th grade reading material, because that's where they're going to be able to access the information, even if it was read to them. Um, so I, that's, in my opinion, those are sort of the things that typically, you know, we would say a modification is a much more um, restrictive and kind of uh, permanent trajectory that we're heading a kiddo in. So we want to be really careful about selecting modifications has those longer term consequences, it sounds like, that really have to be considered for the student. Is the benefit of the modification going to outweigh the potential uh, negative consequences for, for having modified that uh, education Absolutely. for the child? So Absolutely. I can see why it's so critical to have everyone at the table at an IEP meeting. We're really discussing long term, long -term um, things for this child's individual education. Um, are there are there some common accommodations that you've seen used, uh, maybe more common at kindergarten or more common in high school? Um, I think so, but um, I think uh, I think before we finish the last topic, I have something more I really wanted to say. So I think it's really important that we note that you know all the people at the table for the IEP meeting is is crucial. 
because when we as a team make a decision about either whether a student needs an accommodation or a modification, the primary person to carry out those and, and ensure that those are being provided to a student is the general education teacher. Um, while mm-hmm. certainly the special education teacher collaborates and could provide materials or consultation or whatever for those things to happen, we're really talking the majority of that is going to happen in the general education classroom. So that's why it's so important that we have the general education teachers at the table when we have these IEP meetings, because they have are the ones who have to tell us whether that is reasonable and or doable in a classroom setting. Um, and then, you know, they also have to tell us about, like, how has that been working you know, previously, if they were providing some of those in the classroom for that student. So we can also know if that's still really an accommodation or modification student requires, or is it something that we need to change or take away or add to, right? I really appreciate how you brought up the data collection component again, because one of our questions that we wanted to answer is what kind of data do we need to collect? Do we need to collect data on implementing accommodations and modifications? And what might that look like? You know, why is this important? And you just said, this is the kind of information we need as a team to know, are these effective? Is this modification working? And if not, what do we need to do to shift it, to change it? Maybe it's not a modification now. Maybe we need an accommodation, vice versa. Um, Are there are there data collection tools that you've used for that? Do you like certain resources? Um, I think that's a pretty loaded question, but (laughs) um, I, 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 you know, I think um, oftentimes it's kind of a, a a probe or a, an observation that um, both the, you know, special education teacher and the school psychologist and the classroom teacher can all, sort of inform, um, you know, watching a student, noticing whether or not a student is, you know, using that pencil grip regularly or is using that extra time efficiently, um, and then coming back to the table and saying, okay, this it's not working, or, you know, they get extra time, but they're still not finishing their work or um, whatever, you know, they're sitting in the front of the classroom, but they still are sitting with their head down at the table the whole time. And so, you know, what is that accommodation providing for them and is it working? And so a lot of it is kind of more, uh, I I dare say subjective, although it's not truly subjective. It's more that observational type of data that we're collecting. Um, Certainly there are, you know, checklists and behavior um, data collection, you know, hour by hour or whatever that we could do if we felt like, we really needed that level of uh, data, but even just looking at, you know, things like how are they, how are they managing their time? And then also looking at things like their grades and their, you know, their uh, scores on assignments or tests or whatever can also be a kind of part of that data collection. As you were talking about this need for all of the players at the table and the need for different viewpoints and perspectives and observations, I was thinking, man, this really goes to speak to why a variety of educators is so important. And sometimes I think in a meeting, you know, I'm having a meeting like, oh, this is, this is the accommodation this kid is going to need to access. This isn't this great. We figured it out. Woohoo. 
and then it doesn't happen. Or it doesn't happen in the way we thought. We we give them the the iPad with the audiobook on it and they just kind of look at me and go, uh-huh, and you know, um, it's not that silver bullet, right? Where there is that that follow-up of we have to teach them, we have to teach the professionals who are working with them what it looks like, what we're looking for, the skills they need. Um, and I can see how tricky that can be if you don't have everyone at the table for that discussion. Right. You know, and then there are some teachers who have uh, certain sort of expectations in their classroom that are unique to their personality or just their grade level or whatever, um, or to the curriculum in itself. And, you know, perhaps they really um, are not comfortable with putting something, you know, maybe on the student's desk or um, always making sure that they, you know, print out copies of notes or so, so those are things that we have to, you know, try to also accommodate for the teachers. Um, you know, I'm not wanting to ask a teacher to stand on their head. I want them to, I want it to be something that they can realistically provide for their students. Um, and probably most of the time, the accommodations that we um, sort of feel like a student really would benefit from are accommodations that a lot of students in that classroom would benefit from, even though they are not necessarily identified as having a disability. Um, so I know earlier you asked me, like, what might be some different accommodations at different grade levels? So, um, you know, some of the things for a kindergartner could be maybe they get a little uh, special cushion to sit on in their seat. Maybe they get a pencil grip. Maybe they are a student who has, uh, you know, a paper that has different lines on it for writing on, right? Um, those could be accommodations for younger students that makes a lot of sense and seems to be appropriate. Whereas a junior or senior in high school um, might need that, but m- most of the time, you know, their needs are more um, things like they can listen on their iPad to the textbook, or they can take a picture of the notes off the whiteboard on their iPad, or they get a copy of the notes, you know, in a printed fashion so that they can take notes on there themselves or just have them to use for studying. Um, So there, you know, there's, there are some differences. High schoolers typically, you know, things like being allowed to use um, uh, prediction, word prediction, and those kinds of things, you know, kindergartner probably that wouldn't mean a thing to them, but an older student, it probably would be very helpful. <clears throat> it sounds like one of the things in, that we, you and I both keep talking about is the technology that's available to help uh, implement oh. and to provide accommodations and modifications if that's what the team um, determines is important for this child to access their education. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of grinning because I can remember the days we did um, good old plastic um, on on an overhead projector. And we got so excited when we could print out our teacher notes on an overhead projector. But right. also being able to print out teacher notes for kids beforehand, that was amazing. Um, right. You didn't have to, to have a scribe. You could you know, just have it ready to go. And, and it just seemed like such a revelation. So it's kind of exciting to see where we've come in the field of special education and in the field of education in general and, so and how we're able to get information to our students. It's, it's right. Kind of I mean, I was even just thinking, also. sorry, I was just thinking, you know, there, that we used to put uh, access to a calculator 
for math uh, years ago as an accommodation. And now when we talk about it, we're like, uh, everybody has access to a calculator. Why would we put that as an accommodation? That's a standard universal uh, you know, tool that everybody has access to. Yeah, I'm not sure when I last taught calculator skills, actually, because you can <laughs> hey, Siri, it's times a thousand and one. Off she goes. Um, mm-hmm. Really gotten a lot of different topics and, and um, discussion going here much further than the questions I had. So I really appreciate the richness of our conversation. Um, one of the questions that we didn't kind of tackle yet, but I'm curious about is if you are working with a student and you find, wow, um, they really benefited from the visual schedule. I put it up for Tommy, but Paula over there is really accessing this. And I think it's something that we want to document on her IEP. What do I need to do? What does the team need to do to add that? So typically those things are discussed um, annually at the annual IEP meeting. Um, I think Again, if you, you know, as a classroom teacher, if you notice a student that really benefits from something that you're providing for another student as your example, then I think it's very important that you share that information as soon as possible with the case manager. The IEP meeting might not be coming up for three or four months, but if the case manager is aware of it, um, they can be sure to, to kind of put that into the draft that they're going to create before the IEP meeting. And it doesn't mean that a student can't receive that accommodation just because it's not on their IEP, right? So I think that's also important. We can provide accommodations for all students, whether they have an IEP or not. Um, And we can provide those accommodations, like I said earlier, in kind of more of a differential um, instructional model. So if we think of it more that way, um, the IEP just delineates what specific things we know a student needs in order to benefit from their education. And that it's a part of identifying, you know, their disability and supporting their needs. So we must do the things that are on the IEP, but we can do other things that are not on there if we see benefit um, before we have the next IEP meeting. So I think that's important to pay attention to. Um, so kind of going back to your example, if I notice Paula's benefiting from this, then why would I not continue to provide it for her, right? First of all. And secondly, I want to communicate that with her case manager Um, who is going to be writing the IEP so that they know that that's something that should be added to the list of accommodations for the next annual IEP meeting. Well, and and notifying the case manager, I'm thinking for myself, you know, if if I get told Paula benefits from a visual schedule, I want to make sure she has access to that everywhere in music and science not just in, you know, in Miss Awesome Possum's room over there. (laughs) We want her to be able to use it everywhere. So, I'm going to throw a little tricky question out there because I am not solid on the answer of this one. If I need to, if I think, ah, I need to modify this, you know, I'm seeing James is not finishing the last 15 questions of this 40 question quiz. Can I modify that? Mm. You know, and and I know it's a tricky question because doing it once versus doing it as standard practice is also different. It's very different. So the answer to your question is yes, but... Um, you can modify anything. You're a classroom teacher. You have that, you know, that is your authority in the classroom. But you need to document that somewhere um, because that's important for everybody to know, including the parents. You know, it's like, well, Sally got to be in this class, but 
you know, they only got to be because I said they didn't have to answer the last 13 questions of every test that I gave them. That's, that's a huge, you know, dis difference. So what I guess I would say, um, kind of just from my own experience is if you see that that is a need that the student has, and you are pretty sure it's going to be an ongoing need. So it's not just because they were in the hospital for two weeks and they missed half of the instruction. So of course I wouldn't expect them to know it all. That would be different than, gosh, they just really, they, every time I give them a test, they, they cannot finish it. They cannot answer all the questions. They don't know all the information, even with the accommodations or whatever I'm providing them then that has to be a conversation again with the case manager and you really have to have an IEP meeting as soon as possible to discuss that with the parent and make sure that it's documented on the IEP. So I think that would be my answer. So yes, you can do it in the in the moment if you really see that that's a need, but you have to think about what is the long-term effects of that and what is the what is the reason why you're doing it, right? So if you're doing it because you just know the student cannot access this curriculum, then we have to be really clear and honest with the parents and the family about this is what we're seeing, this is what we feel like needs to be done, and we need to have those meetings and conversations with the parents so that they are aware of that and so that they're aware of what we're changing to this student's um, curriculum and expectations. And like we talked in the beginning, it's going to change the trajectory. If we see that that's a need, then that modified grade has to go on the on the report card. And I know most classroom teachers know that. So you have to say this is modified. This is a modified grade. And that changes the trajectory of what that student's going to be moving toward. It might not be as big of a deal in fourth grade, right? But once they get to high school and they're getting credits, it is a big deal because it counts toward that diploma and it makes such a huge difference in, you know, what diploma track they're heading to and what other credits they need to get in order to get their diploma, right? It, it's interesting you say that. I'm doing primarily uh, elementary for the last you know, 15 years. I did do a little middle and high. And one of the things I run up against um, as my elementary school students hit fifth grade and we transition into middle school is, okay, what classes are they going to take? And that's going to impact what classes they take in high school. So we're having that high school conversation in fifth grade at the beginning, maybe at the end of fourth grade, because it's a year long um, IEP. And so really powerful to think something that allows greater access and accommodation go you know go for it try those things something that's going to modify really has bigger connections to their their whole educational career and that right. is not a decision that i feel comfortable making individually and i would really want the weight of the team in that making that decision because wow that's huge to know that in fourth grade if i say this i'm going to modify could determine that that student doesn't that that student gets a modified diploma eight years later. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Right. And I think kind the other thing too is bringing the team together is you can have some some more important conversations and richer conversations about well, if we see this, are there other other accommodations that we haven't considered yet that might actually sort of you know. Um, fill in that gap for that student that would make it so that they can complete all those questions on that test or that they can, you know, finish the work. But maybe there's some other accommodations we hadn't considered yet or we hadn't tried yet that maybe we should try first before we just jump straight to modifying. I love that. Again, getting everyone to help collaborate. How can we provide greater access instead of Correct. changing 
the expectation of the, or the education that the child's going to get. Sandra, is there anything else you'd like us to know that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I think we've covered some really beneficial and important things. I think one of the things, um, I think one of the things you asked me way early on that I probably didn't fully answer is where do you find these accommodations and modifications? And I think it's important that um, special educators pretty much know, you know, where is this? But every IEP has a section that is specifically delineated and it says accommodations and modifications. So I think it's really important for if a classroom teacher does not know what the accommodations are or does not know if the student has modifications um, that are allowed, that they need to check in with the case manager and get a copy of the IEP and find that page and read it uh, carefully and clearly. And I think it's important, like you spoke about earlier, sometimes delivering how that's done. You know, sometimes special educators put things on there like preferential seating, which is just really broad, right? And and while we know the student benefits from, you know, maybe a special place to sit, what does that look like, really? Like, is that always at the front of the room? Is that always at the back of the room? What does that really look like for that student? So I think it's also important if you see something that looks really broad and global to go straight to the case manager and like, can you give me a little more details or a little more specifications? I don't understand exactly um, what this means this, you know, or why the student needs this preferential seating. Is it a vision thing? Is it a hearing thing? Is it a focus on attention thing? Like what is it that they need that I, you know, how I set up my classroom, I need to make sure that they're seated in place that is going to be most beneficial to them. Um, and I think that's true also of modifications. I think sometimes, you know, teachers, um, unfortunately, maybe kind of think, well, it's really easy. It's very simple. I just have them do half of the test or I just have them do half of the assignment. But I think it's it sometimes it's more um, involved than that. And then I think the case managers would be more than happy to collaborate with the teacher and find out like, okay, you know, what are the key components of this assignment that you need the student to demonstrate mastery of? So maybe that is question number three, number seven, number 10, you know, like what does that really look like? And then kind of breaking that down for the student um, and giving it to them in a way, or maybe we just need to reword some of the questions so they're not quite so abstract and we just make them a little bit more concrete. So there's so many different ways to do it um, that, you know, it really takes a more than one person to do this. And we don't expect classroom teachers to just automatically you know, know how to do it quickly and efficiently, but but we know that they're the experts in their field and we want to rely on them as far as what's important and what's key, but we also have a lot of expertise in how to help them sort of you know, rearrange things or um, change things up that would, would make it more beneficial for the student. Perfect. Sandra, thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to sharing our OEA podcast with you all soon. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.